0: Welcome to a new episode and new season of the Computomics podcast. My guest today is a consultant in strategy and innovation in plant science and breeding consultant at Computomics and for other organizations. Her work history spans over 25 years, a vast geographic region, Europe, the Middle East, South America. And she has worked as a commercial plant breeder, as a project leader in global sustainable cocoa sourcing, As head of a research institute specializing in perfume and medicinal plants and as a freelance advisor and strategist. Anne Buchwalder, welcome to the Computomics Podcast. Thank you. As a a start, I I know uh, you speak four languages, you've traveled a lot, you've worked in a lot of different places. Do you have a favorite spot to spend some time? Any recommendations? Any recommendation? That's quite
1: hard, eh? <laughs> because there are so many nice places around the globe, uh, So, but there are, each of them have specificity, and what I really uh, enjoy more is uh, sharing the everyday life of people, and meeting with uh, people in different countries, and that's what, that's what I really enjoy traveling around the globe for uh, job purposes. And that's something that I really appreciate. So, uh, of course, I, I had lived in Turkey for almost six years. And this is a place that I really love, because uh, Turkish people are really friendly and welcome uh, foreigners. Uh, but of course, I also enjoyed a lot uh, South America uh, for their way of living, and the food and their habits as well. Uh, Southeast Asia is also a fascinating place um Central africa where i travel a lot for cocoa, it's also a fascinating place so yeah they are each of them <laughs> a specificity i understand i realized that i'd really not answer your question sharply but this is a broad um panorama of where you can go for summer holiday for example
0: yeah as a fellow lover of travel i can totally understand where you're coming from it's it's hard to pick a favorite or even yeah, with with that many great experiences and places and and people, how can yeah. you can you pick just one, right? Absolutely,
1: um, and really sharing the everyday life of people, sharing their habits, discussing with them—that's really what I really appreciate more in uh, traveling. Definitely.
0: So, I mean. As you've mentioned, and I've mentioned, you have worked in a lot of different places, um, can, you, can you maybe give us a quick uh, uh, insight into the primary crops that you've worked with in these different places?
1: Okay, so I started working on plant breeding as a commercial plant breeder. Uh, for at that time, it was the, the, the company named Seminis, afterwards it was bought by Monsanto and today Bayer. So I started uh, pea bre- as a commercial uh, pea breeder. Uh, for processing peas, uh, for a market dedicated on uh, uh, Europe. So that's how I started and uh, learn how to transfer from the theory learned at school to the real, the real world, let's say. And then afterwards I moved on to um, a special melon consumed in France, a Charenté, it's a cantaloupe. But with a specific uh, aroma, texture, and sugar and shape, and sugar contents. So this is a really French market, uh, but really interesting uh, crop as well. And then afterwards, I move on uh, sweet and hot pepper, working in Turkey. Uh, and afterwards, uh, I uh, I worked on breeding cocoa. So this is the panorama where of uh, the different uh, breeding program I worked on.
0: Yeah, that's that's also quite a quite a range. I was also wondering about the perfume and medicinal plants because you, you did develop an R&D strategy uh, in that area as well, right?
1: Absolutely. So I haven't I mentioned it earlier just because I did not on this on this um, position, I did not directly work on breed, plant breeding. I manage a team of people working on these topics, of course. But this is a very fascinating word, and there is a lot of potential as well. Uh, so just imagine that the medicinal and perfume plants that we use in Europe are imported for more than eighty percent of them. Mm-hmm. So we rely on on importation from different countries. The quality, the standard, the way it is grown—it's not always sustainable, of course. Mm-hmm. And so that's where uh, there is a huge potential uh, to improve the sustainable production of these uh, pants, And uh, there is a very high interest today in different countries, and I guess that uh, in Germany is the same as in France or in Netherlands. Is all, we are all more and more concerned about our environmental footprint. Mm-hmm. First of all, and the second part is that we are more and more concerned on having more natural uh, stuff, uh, having more uh, clean labels, all this kind of uh, topics. And so that's where this group of plants has a huge potential.
0: For sure. And you've, you've already mentioned sustainability. That's definitely something I want to go into because a lot of your work has been focused in, in that area with the Nestle Cocoa program as well, I think. Um, uh, what would you say, I mean, what are the main challenges with regard to vegetable breeding huh. that you've encountered?
1: Vegetable breeding and uh, sustainability, that's a huge question indeed. And um, so today uh, in, in Europe, for instance, uh, in winter crop, the problem is that we really depend on importation when it is winter. And we, we in the past decades, we have been trained to have fruit and vegetable all year round, mm. uh, which is not exactly the normality or the naturality, let's say. And so we have been trained and we have been, we have been grown with this luxury, let's say. And we have now to change our habits as a consumer, to change the way it is grown. Uh, because if there is no market, there will be, there will, there will be no longer uh, the production overseas. So that's a big challenge, but at the end, but to the other hand, you have people, uh, at the other part of the globe. So if, so if you look at a, a growing banana or, uh, there are many countries depending on the economy of selling these fruits when we do not have fresh fruits in Europe when it is winter. So this is the wall. So it's not an easy, um, easy issue to solve because you have to consider the the, the the country and the economy of these growing countries that rely for a certain part of their um, their income they really rely on this exportation but to the other end we also have to change our habits and consumptions so um, that's why uh, first of all i do think and i am i am um, a strong activist on that uh, raising the awareness, awareness on people uh, just to think about their consumption and then i do think that everybody will find their way their own way to may to be more sustainable your way of being more sustainable can be completely different from my way
0: mm. but at the end
1: of the day we have to reduce our footprint
0: that's true but i think you 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 touched on a very important point the kind of the nexus between the desire to become more sustainable the desire to become more environmentally friendly and at the same time, on the other hand, the 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 potential economic impact of of these changes. Um, so I'm wondering, especially as a as a strategist and as someone who's who's worked with people on site where the actual breeding happens, where the where the vegetables are produced or the the different products. Um, like what what can be done sustainability wise on on that end so if the expectation of the consumers change if we actually manage to to make people think about season seasonality and all these things uh how what can we do on the other side on the production side to to make the entire uh production i guess more more sustainable yeah exactly if you look at
1: um a country that i i I worked with and i know a little bit is a country like ivory coast or if you go also another country, I, I I traveled a lot for work. It was Ecuador. So these two countries export a, a huge amount of um, agricultural production abroad. Okay, mm-hmm. so their economy really relies on this a big part. If you look at cocoa, cocoa I think for Cote d'Ivoire uh, accounts for about forty um, percent of the, the 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 growth of the country so that's really good but to the end and at the other end hardly almost no people in Cote d'Ivoire have eaten a bar a chocolate bar okay mm. so this is tr- really, truly a commodity crop for the consumer and this is a a, a cash crop for the producer in those countries so So how can you change that? It's really hard. Uh, And so at the end to the end, at the other end, you have to have more and more local sourcing for cereal, for instance, and how you can introduce cereals adapted to this uh, part of the globe, Uh, how you introduce vegetables that are more adapted to this part of the globe. So that's why it's all linked. And we cannot say, okay, uh, let's get rid of chocolate or let's get rid of a banana. That's not as simple as that. You have to train also and to give other alternative to these kind of producing countries to grow locally their cereal they need or the, um, the, the, the 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 fruit or the vegetable they need to avoid also the importation for their own consumptions. So to be more independent and to have a more sustainable um, and a more sustainable um, source of uh, raw material in a, given area, in a given area of the globe, that would be already something improved <laughs> before saying a, a country, maybe uh, by geography, maybe.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. It's not, it's not, there's no simple solutions. You can't just change <sighs> one thing and you'll solve the problem, right? Absolutely not. And, and again, if I take the example
1: of cocoa, uh, it's a very touchy um, crop when you discuss about with a country like Ghana or Côte d'Ivoire because it's such an important crop for their the, the income of the country. So that's also why you have to work and discuss all the things with the those countries with the politics of this country to build something all together at global level. It's not we cannot say, OK, us in Europe, we're going we're gonna to work on to be more sustainable. No, I think we are all on the same <laughs> the same planet and and the solution has to be global. Definitely.
0: Mm-hmm. That's
1: why it is so difficult to implement
0: yeah for sure I, I would be interested to to have a bit more insight into that actual work because like you said, you've been in uh, in Cote d'ivoire you've you've been uh, in Ecuador actually on site uh, doing some of that work, trying to to uh, to work locally to increase sustainability uh, if you if you can take us along like how did you talk with people? what kind of programs did you implement? So in those two country, in those countries working for cocoa
1: the goal and the the the, the vision uh, company such as nestle uh, i worked for at that time has is to improve the growing conditions of this crop which is typically a tropical crop okay so and with, it's a food but it's also it's not a, a basic food it is just a, a treat more than a food better say and uh, and so the the vision of this of the of the company and every confection the every company involved in confectionary businesses is to improve the the growing conditions of this crop to make it more sustainable because in the past uh, they used to have a lot of cutting forest to grow the cocoa etc and, and as soon as you st- you try to understand why uh, people started to cut forest etc and and you realize that it's just because we haven't given them access to good agricultural practices. So that's why not only Nestle, but also Mars, Mondelez, or every every company is involved in uh, confectionery um, is really concerned about this and try to help uh, the farmers in those um, producing countries. Mm -hmm.
0: And what what kind of, uh, I guess, what shape does that help take? Uh, if you, if we're talking concrete, and so
1: exactly, so they have different uh, pillars. Let's say, uh, the, there, there. Most of the time, there is one pillar linked to society. So it's about um, avoid um, child labor, uh, give access uh, to education, uh, having fair um, price, and having um, also involving women because most of the time, men, men and women are working in the plantation, but traditionally, uh, the, the balance for revenue was not exactly the same. So this is the first pillar most of the time, so, so, so social pillar. Uh, you have a second pillar, which is uh, linked to um, tracking the sourcing, make sure that you 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 pay the right price you you have um, the, the intermediaries are well connected and there is no no gap or so that everybody along the value chain is considered and well paid and the third pillar which is the pillar i worked on is about agricultural practices and agronomy and there you can work on um, planting material as soon as you try to understand what's going wrong uh, in producing cocoa, you realize that uh, uh, most of the time you do not have access to improved uh, planting material.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So, so that the first pillar. Then you start also with um, crop management, including fertilizer, crop protection, pruning. Pruning in many countries is not uh, something that is usually adapted, and um, so at how you do and also how to harvest and how to ferment and dry in the appropriate way so that's the the whole challenge
0: yeah again a complex system the value chain from (laughs) from farmer to to customer but um let's dive in because we have you here as the the expert into that into that last pillar um like you said agricultural practices and and agronomy um what kind of planting material because you said better access or access to improved planting material was one key factor in that pillar of of increasing sustainability. So what what would that have been? Or can you can you speak of specific examples maybe? So that?
1: it's first of all, is to identify the, the good the chance that um, you have in cocoa, that you have a good um, a good um, genetic diversity of the, the tree. And then is to evaluate to assess the potential the yield potential the disease resistance of this um, this diversity in a given environment and so it, it means that and, and like any other crop huh, something some an individual that uh, performs well in a given environment will not perform in elsewhere and vice versa okay so first of all you have to identify this and then you have to propagate it because it's a tree. And the problem is that making plantlets, it's expensive. And most of the time farmers do not have uh, uh, money, they cannot afford buying new planting material. So that's where all these companies and every uh, action to trying to help uh, the agronomy in the cocoa sector is to give access to this planting material for free or with different mm-hmm. uh, economical system, with such as loan or things like that. Just mm-hmm. because at the first time, like any uh, perennial crop, you need to invest in the planting material and wait for two, three, four years before oh, having wow. revenue. So it's quite hard. So that's also why in these um, agronomy plans. You have, um, so first of all, you give access to improved material. And then you also try during the first two, three years when you do not have a cocoa harvest to, to grow it with other crops such as vegetables or mm. medicinal perfume plants, um, just to give income awaiting for the, the, the cocoa crop for sure.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And also more and more um, producing systems are based on agroforestry as well mm-hmm. also for mainly two reasons first reason is to have income and to buffer the risk of um, collapse in prices mm-hmm. and also to for the sustainability, sustainable reason or the environmental reason of having more balanced um ecosystem
0: not only in the air but also in the soil in the soil so to avoid monocultures and the kind of depletion that that goes along with that right Hmm, interesting so i'm wondering i mean obviously we're in the computomics podcast so um (laughs) uh, there have to be questions about tech as well and especially on on um, on that issue of identifying disease resistant plants um, and providing plant material planting material that is that is uh very resistant, or that's especially optimized for 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 a region. What role does tech play in that, in that aspect of the work? <laughs> that's
1: uh, and that's really an interesting question and um, a very exciting uh, um, point. Um, you know, and back to Europe. Let's see, let's travel mm-hmm. back to Europe. And uh, today. Uh, we and with the summer like the one we just have had uh, this year, you you see how the climate change is getting mm-hmm. uh, hard. Uh, we will have drier periods. We will have hotter periods. We will have heavy uh, rainfalls. So all these things are changing, and um, we are not uh, ready for that. Definitely not. And we have to change our cropping systems. We have to to also find the plant varieties that are adapted or at least that can stand these um, extremes. Yeah. And so that's where uh, working with Computomics and, and um, bridging uh, the technology they have with, the plant breed, with plant breeding is very fascinating because um, you will need to, to, to match more and more the adaptation of these plants with the environment and to predict it and to mm-hmm. to make models that are extreme more extreme than the one that you can experiment so it means that you can help plant breeders to breed forwards which is something quite new and innovative to my understanding mm-hmm. and uh, that's also why i'm really happy to give my input as a plant breeder to make it happen and to give a new a new tool in the hands of plant breeder to to help them uh, selecting the right planting material for the the, 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 the the climate that is going to be not the one that we are forecasting we are uh, re- broadcasting right now, but the one that we are forecasting
0: right, right Look, looking into the future and, and building yeah. what we need before we needed. I do. Exactly.
1: Exactly. And, and, you know, and also now working with more and more uh, biocontrol, uh, um, biofertilization, fertiliz- uh, boosting uh, microbial of the soil, all these and, and, and growing a given crop in this environment. It's something that everybody is discovering things every day. Uh, that's a fascinating moment that we are living right now mm-hmm. uh, because uh, we in the past decades, we have been used to grow um, wheat or barley, uh, we put um, fertilizer, synthetic fertilizer, we put um, uh, biochemical uh, chemicals to avoid uh, fungus and pest and disease.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And everything was well controlled, let's say. Today we say okay we want to boost the, the microbiota of the soil to reduce the nitrogen inputs to avoid the um, the, the, the gas emissions so okay first then we will spray not with um, chemicals but we spray with biocontrol uh, with biostimulants okay. Mm-hmm. And then all these things we do—the the variety that you have been growing for many years—you do not know how it will react in front of this mi- uh, microenvironment, which is quite new. Mm. And so that's also where oh, collecting as many as possible data uh, is so crucial to to have a fine understanding on how all these things interact together. Mm-hmm.
0: Right. It's, it's almost learning, <laughs> learning from the data that we have right now and using that to simulate into, into the future. Um, mm. exciting. I'm, I'm especially that, that point that you made earlier, right? That we have this, this, I guess, challenge. We have that here in Europe where we're based, uh, as much as, as the farmers do in, in Ecuador or uh, Cote d'Ivoire, everywhere the climate is changing. <laughs> yes. And, and we have to, to work with with tech ideally to to increase our chances to deal with those challenges right but at least the tech will help us to find a solution faster Mm.
1: yeah and 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 a sustainable solution faster (laughs) because in the past and but we do not have to blame from the past because we didn't know definitely at that time but it was easy and we found chemicals that control the development of pests or of disease was fantastic, to be honest, at that that time, it was it
0: was excellent. Yeah, it was was a solution for the time. But now we know it wasn't ideal, we have to do it differently. Um, But I wonder, though, if because you you, I mean, you also work as a a strategist, as someone who develops R&D strategies, who develops tech roadmaps and has developed them. Um, How or how, how do you go about integrating this tech? Uh, I know you work with Computomics, but but also uh, sp- speaking specifically, but also generally, how mm-hmm. how can you implement that? How can someone who works in that area implement tech to get faster to get to those results faster? Exactly. You know, when I started twenty five years ago as a commercial plant breeding
1: breeder. Uh, I used to present my job with all the different um, toolbox that I had in my hands. And at that time, it was okay. the emerging uh, impact of molecular biology, plant, plant pathology, plant cell culture, mm-hmm. agronomy, and data management, let's say. okay. Mm-hmm. Today, when I do the same map, I have at least 10 different tools, including machine learning, uh, eye throughput phenotyping. Um, sensory analysis, phytochemistry, all and so it's a whole a bunch
0: mm-hmm.
1: of uh, tools that we have in our hands. and then and then the strategy and as a strategist you have to define the roadmap on how you can implement them in your in a given breeding program, taking in consideration the biology of the plant because the answer or the roadmap will not have the same speed if you're talking about a tomato or talking about a maple tree, for instance. Mm-hmm. But you, you have to use all these um, tools that you have in your hands uh, to make it faster, to make it more accurate, and always with the scope of having more um, resilience against uh, water uh, drought. Pest and disease, these are the main targets everywhere for every crop okay. and to make uh, and, and, and for some fruits or fruit for fruit, vegetables, it's also how to store to avoid uh, waste as well. So the storage the shelf life is very important. For cereal, you will have um, in the context of reducing the, the, the spray of chemicals, you will have The issue of having um, of maintaining the good standards of mycotoxins for instance because that's a big issue when you reduce the the sprays of uh, against fungus for instance you have an increased uh, prevalence of uh, fungus which can be very harmful for human health so Mm. that's where it's uh, very difficult You, you have to be very careful so these are all the topics that you have to consider. So you have your breeding target and you play, let's say, with the different tools that you have um, access to. And of course, every time you have to consider uh, the balance of uh, costs. And so mm-hmm. that's how you modulate and you make. Uh, you can write uh, your uh, scientific roadmap to reach your goal.
0: Mm-hmm. Sounds so easy when you say it. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. Um, uh, maybe for I know we're kind of reaching the end of our interview, but uh, as a as a final question, I I'm I was reminded when you when you were just talking about um, all the people that are involved in in this in the implementation of such a strategy, right? You have those tools, you analyze, you make a roadmap, but then on the roadmap there are quite a few people involved. The value chain is a complex thing, um, so I'm wondering all the people that are involved, the deciders that are involved in this process, how, how has maybe the acceptance or the, the understanding of all these tools developed there? So any, you know, obviously, uh, leaders of breeding programs, but also politicians, uh, people who who implement programs on site, uh, um, that support sustainability. Um, Do you see, see a change there? Also an awareness of the options that are there? I think that uh, the awareness is getting
1: higher and higher, to be honest, I, I maybe I'm too optimistic, but I have the feeling that I, at a certain level of decision makers, uh, they have understood know that uh, the, it's urgent, uh, the, 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 the situation is difficult. Um, also at farmer level, because I, I am also working with uh, co here in France uh, those days, uh, I, uh, helping them to to change their um, growing models for a more sustainable way. And I, I'm really um, positively surprised to see that um, the, the global awareness is raising, really. So that's a good point, and they really want to change, but most of the time they do not know how to change. And that's where, as agronomists, we all have uh, a role to play, uh, to facilitate, to help farmers, to help uh, consumers to understand as well, mm-hmm. uh, because you can help farmers to change their uh, growing systems, but you also have to aware uh, the final consumer when they have to, to choose in the supermarket. Mm-hmm. Uh, what is more sustainable to another? Most of the, so most of the time is not as simple as it is local.
0: Mm-hmm. No,
1: it's sometimes it's a little bit more complex than that. And which kind of inputs they have used, uh, how it was grown, uh, water use efficiency—all these topics are getting. Sometimes water use efficiency is much more important. Then um, did I spray with a chemical to avoid this and that? So it's not, mm. it's always, uh, so that's where, and I see uh, the tools are getting more and more, uh, sharper and sharper uh, to to make this life life cycle assessment. Mm-hmm. So that's also where, because it's a tool to help decision maker, to help final consumer to make a decision. So that's also a good point, I would say. There are still things to be done, but that's that's it. Uh, So, yeah, maybe again, maybe I'm too optimistic, but I have the feeling that at a certain level of decision maker, the the awareness is high at the production level. Also, the decision, the, 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 the awareness is there. But most of the time, they simply do not know how to change their habits. So we have to provide them solutions and easy to use solution and not expensive solution. Mm -hmm. And at the end, at the final consumer level, um, it's hard because also in this inflation moments that we are uh, living right now, it's quite hard to say to the the population that, okay, maybe you will have to pay uh, 50% more, maybe your tomato will be 5% more expensive. And at the same time, you have to eat uh, fruit and vegetable uh, every day. So let's, so, and at the same time, you will increase your uh, bill for gas and, mm. and eating system. So that's quite hard. Uh, so it's a, a, a fugal, I think that the awareness at the final consumer is to realize that uh, food is something precious. Mm uh and uh, something precious you it has to be uh maybe um the price can be valued and we have to reduce the waste and then for a certain portion of the population maybe uh, pay more but we cannot say this thing to everybody it's just not possible hmm.
0: certainly a challenge but i i love that you combined it with with an optimistic note uh, <laughs> to yeah I think it doesn't help to to be pessimistic. We have to we have to, I guess, work with the challenge at hand and and like you said, we do have awareness has increased. We have better tools and now we we just maybe need to invest a little more into educating into getting the tools into the right hands and and hopefully, you know, work on various places in the chain to Absolutely. to improve the situation
1: and also and also something that is quite uh, positive to my to my eyes is that uh, the youth is also pushing a lot on these topics. And that's very nice because that's these are the ones that are teaching us mm-hmm. and, and that's nice uh i i see the the kids today uh, are getting more and more concerned about uh, recycling uh, uh, not uh, wasting food Uh, so that's also uh, a big um, a big part of the awareness don't, don't you think
0: oh yeah for sure for sure that's why i think you're right we have reasons to be you know to we have to, we are looking at a huge, a humongous challenge, but there's also at least some reasons to be optimistic. Yeah, and, and, and also a very positive point,
1: which is uh, trade to a certain point. But okay, when, when you have the market that push good practices, it's nice, <laughs> you know, there mm-hmm. is no, no problem, no issue about that. But there is also the emerging or it's a little bit more than emerging, but the market for carbon. And the only uh, industrial sector that can capture carbon is agriculture. So that's also why I'm, I'm also, uh, it's a part of my optimism is that um, there is a lot of money invested on that, on uh, understanding how agriculture can sequester carbon. Mm -hmm. And uh, there is a good amount of money in um, Mm R&D invested to find solutions on how crop soil can help us to reach our target in carbon sequestration
0: for sure i feel like um, we almost have to do another episode maybe next season if you if you were willing to come back uh, to just talk about that aspect Um, (laughs) thank you so much Anne for your for your time for your insights i think we learned a lot about generally the topic but especially on on how to increase sustainability um, in in agricultural practices and agronomy um how to how to also look at different aspects of the value chain and and go in there and also that we tech has improved that we do have more tools more precise tools um, that should should help us deal with that challenge and maybe allow us to be optimistic so thank you for your time you're welcome and to our listeners out there, thank you for listening, for being with us today. We hope you will be back. Feel free to, uh, to check out our website at computomics.com. You can see all the previous episodes. And obviously, if you like what you heard, uh, feel free to hit the follow and hear you next time.